the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. Well, we are coming here in this passage to the last, the fifth of the five faithful sayings in the pastoral epistles. And um, I want to just quickly remind you of the other five. Uh, so if you turn back to 1 Timothy 1.15, we have the first faithful saying, uh, grace and saving sinners. So 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a faithful saying that deserves full acceptance. So he gives the announcement of the marker first. And this is one of the two places where he adds that phrase, it deserves full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's probably the end of the saying, the faithful saying. Paul adds his um, evaluation of himself, of whom I am uh, the worst. But it's uh, God's grace in saving sinners. The second faithful saying is uh, 1 Timothy 3.1. And uh, it's grace in a noble work. Here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets, or a faithful saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Again, he announces the faithful saying before he gives it. Then in 1 Timothy 4, 9, he says, uh, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, And he continues on for to this end we strive. Well, the faithful saying, this is one of the times when he announces the faithful saying after he already gave it to you. Uh, The faithful saying is what precedes this, that bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That's the faithful saying that he then tells you he just gave you. Uh, and he adds that phrase, it deserves full acceptance. Now, the fourth faithful saying, chronologically, not according to the order of the books, is Titus 3, verse 8. <clears throat> and um, where Paul says, this is a faithful saying, and I want you to insist on these things. Well, the faithful saying came before that. And the faithful saying had to do with the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that we are justified by grace, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So that's the second one that he gives the announcement about the faithful saying after he's already given it to you. Now, where we're going to go tonight in 2 Timothy 2 is verse 11 and through 13, which is, Here is a faithful saying. And then you see the words that follow. And uh, there are many 
who believe this is a, a segment of an early Christian hymn. Uh, and you see in many of your translations, it's indented and as a, as a, a poetic form. And uh, some people call it the crossbearers hymn or the martyrs hymn. That it's a, a hymn about the suffering that Christians had to go through. And so you have uh, that as the faithful saying. So we'll come back to that in a minute. But what I want to do is uh, go through briefly the early part of the chapter as sort of a background to this faithful saying. And to say it's background almost seems a little disrespectful because there's a lot of really significant things in these verses that come before. But one of the underlying elements of these earlier verses is the, the idea of hardship and the idea of enduring. And that lays the groundwork for the faithful saying from the martyr's hymn. And so just to cover these things and, and, and group them together, in verses 1 and 2, you have Paul's exhortation uh, to, Tim, to Timothy, to him be strengthened in the grace in Christ Jesus and what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here we have the command and the practice of the transmission of the gospel, the body of truth that was given to the apostles and then they entrusted, then they preached it and then they entrusted it to others and those that were entrusted to it, then they entrusted it to others. The transmission of the, of the doctrines of the church is what Paul is laying out here. And you see it in different places similarly. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, remember Paul says, what was delivered to me, I'm giving to you the gospel. And then he presents the body of truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we have this practice of, of passing on uh, the gospel truth. Now, the second part of this background is particularly the exhortation to endure hardships. And he uses three illustrations as part of his exhortation. And this really underscores where we're headed with the faithful saying. Uh, so in, in verse three, he says, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, the exhortation is going to be for you and I to endure. And here, as a soldier, we share in the sufferings of Christ. Um, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That's our goal, to uh, suffer as a good soldier. Then he uses an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules so again, there's discipline and there's hardship and there's suffering in the pursuit of living a godly life. So we have the illustration of the soldier. We have the illustration of the athlete. And then he illustrates it with the, with the farmer. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. If a farmer is going to do his work, and some of you know farmers... It's going to be hard work. Even if you put in a garden, it's hard work. You got to weed the thing. You got to till the soil. Uh, maybe you got to move some dirt. You got to mulch it. You've got to, anyway, it's a lot of sweat. And 
that's the Christian life. It's a lot of sweat. Uh, it's hard work. And just like the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, uh, as Paul says to Timothy, you need to think over these things. And may the Lord give you understanding. And then the third portion of this background is then specifically uh, focusing on the sufferings of Christ. And so in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. So his focus and attention in his ministry, in his Christian walk, is to keep his eyes on Christ. And what is he to remember about Christ? Well, he begins with his victory, risen from the dead. Now, his suffering's in there, too, because uh, to rise from the dead, you had to die first. So we have part of that phrase, the sufferings and agony of Christ in his death. But he begins with the victory. Because part of what Paul is trying to underscore for you and me is hardship, while not pleasant, is worth it. The hard work of being a Christian is worth it. Now, the world is going to say no to that. Uh, Even our own interests are going to say no to that. But the hard work of being a Christian is worth it. And part of how he encourages us in that, Paul encourages, is by pointing us first to the victory of Christ, risen from the dead. His hard work accomplished that which God intended for him to accomplish in the redemption of many people. Uh, And then he continues, the offspring of David. So he's bringing together here Jesus' saving work and his incarnation, his humanity. He's uh, the offspring of David. So... The the son of God became man that he might obey and suffer in our nature. So he's pointing us to Christ, which he then sums up by saying, uh, as preached in my gospel. So he wants to take you to Christ so that you keep your eyes on him. That when you're dealing with hardship and you're called to endure, you might remember him. And walk in his stead and with his strength. And then he explains, expands on that a little bit. He's preached this gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. So then Paul brings himself into the equation and says, I'm suffering too. I mean, it's not a woe is me kind of thing. It's just a statement of fact. I am bound by these chains because of the gospel that I just preached about Jesus Christ. And he wants Timothy to understand, and as, as I think Timothy does understand, it, that there is suffering, and his, Paul is suffering. Uh, but he adds very quickly, even though he's bound, but the word of God is not bound. Uh, Paul and his Roman imprisonments, if you remember the end of Acts and his first Roman imprisonment, uh, he was chained, but he was chained to a guard. And now this Roman imprisonment, probably he's chained to a wall. But the statement that the word is not bound is significant because we find in the scriptures that there are even believers in Caesar's household. 
And so Paul knew that even though he was chained up in this one place, the word of God was expanding even in Caesar's household. And uh, the, the gospel was being fruitful. And so Paul's conclusion for himself then, therefore, in verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So he's willing to go through this hardship and be bound, even though the word of God is not bound, because uh, for the sake of the elect, so that they might uh, have salvation, so that they might come to know the Lord. And he's confident they will. He knows that God has reserved a people for himself. And so he won't give up. And it is the background to this faithful saying is you and I are are called to endure hardship and grab hold of the understanding that that hardship is worth it. Because the world, our own sinful nature is going to say it's not worth it. And what Paul is trying to say is, no, beloved, it is worth it. It it, it will pay off in accomplishing God's holy purposes. But then he brings us this faithful saying, which is part of his encouragement to us to endure hardship. And so this, this is a faithful saying that begins in verse 11 and through verse 13. This is a faithful saying. There are four uh, statements in this faithful saying, the last two probably going together. But in this trustworthy saying, we have, uh, as one author, George Knight, explains a picture of our unity, our union with Christ, even in suffering. He writes, the saying in these verses gives a helpful overview of key aspects of the professing believer's life. The first two lines encouragingly state the glorious results that accrue from one's identification with Christ. First, in dying to oneself in union with Christ's death, and second, in enduring and suffering for Christ throughout one's life. The last two lines state the sad possibilities that an imperfect disciple faces in this life, denial and unfaithfulness. The saying sharply warns against denial, which can only expect denial in turn by Christ. But as a counterbalance, comfort is offered to the disciple who is unfaithful by assuring him that Christ will remain faithful to him. Now, there's a lot in that paragraph, some of which we'll unpack. But let's work our way through each of these Sayings that are part of this, uh, each of the stanzas that are part of this faithful saying. He begins with, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now, there are different thoughts as to what that might refer to, but it probably, some might think it refers to a martyr's death. If we die as a martyr, then we'll live with the Lord. And certainly, that's a true statement. If we die for the Lord, he will take us to his heavenly home. There's no question about that. But it's not anticipating 
something that's in our future. It's in the distant future. It's anticipating something that's in our present life and existence. And probably, turn to Romans chapter 6. Probably the concept of death here is our dying with Christ, our union with Christ in his death, burial, uh, and resurrection. So in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, he writes, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And so the concept here is if we die in Christ, if we die to self, die to self-interest, die to what we want, and we have died with Christ and our old nature has died with Christ when he died, then we will live now. We will live now with Christ and in Christ. Uh, Paul said in a slightly different way in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so with the whole aspect of enduring hardship and the challenge of that, uh, Paul is giving us this reminder. But if we if we die with Christ then we will live with him and we'll have his life living in us or in, in the power of his life in us that we might then live as disciples, that we might live in a way that honors and glorifies Christ. And we might endure that hardship and have the strength to do so uh, by the grace that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we have died with him, we will also live with him. The uh, second phrase is, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And the, uh, the word for endure uh, literally means, it's a very descriptive word, it literally means to remain under. Uh, it's like when you're carrying a load and you would like anything more. Uh, the, the thing you'd like to do is just drop the thing, just discard it. But you can't. <clears throat> you have to continue carrying the load. And that's part of the description of the Christian life. We're, we're enduring hardship. We're enduring discipline. We're having to remain under that load <clears throat> that God has put on us in living a holy and righteous life <clears throat> with the encouragement <clears throat> that we will reign with him. And probably the anticipation is of, our, of the victory we will share that in glory we will reign with him. And so we have that hope that we live this life for Christ. We will share in the victory that he has accomplished. And so there's encouragement to continue to persevere. Uh, One author suggested another thought that I find interesting. 
perhaps helpful, maybe right. Uh, The fact is in Ephesians 2, Paul says we are seated right now in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when God created us at the beginning, he created us to be his regents here on earth in his behalf. And we were created to be the prophet, the priest, and the king in this world. Under him, of course. But in the fall, we lost all that. And so, as prophets, our minds were corrupted. As priests, our hearts were perverted. And as kings, our will was uh, bound by sin. And in Christ, you see, and being seated in him in victory, the sort of the already and the not yet, we experience that victory now. Uh, we look forward to the full realization of it in eternity. But by grace, as a prophet, our mind is illumined by the word of God. As a priest, our heart is changed and we delight in the person of God. And as a king, our will is transformed and we delight to do the will of God. Some food for thought. But at any rate, we have the encouragement that if we endure, we will reign with him. The third stanza is, if we deny him, he will also deny us. It's a very somber warning, uh, probably coming from Matthew ten thirty-three. Uh, he who denies me, I will also deny. <clears throat> and the fourth phrase, and there are many think we need to take these last two stanzas together. The last stanza is, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, <clears throat> for he cannot deny himself. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of a change in that last stanza. These other three, um, if we die, we will live. If we endure, we will reign. If we deny, we'll be denied. If we're faithless, well, obviously, he can't say God will be faithless. I mean, that wouldn't work. That can't be it. And he doesn't say that. If we're faithless, he remains faithful because God can't deny himself. So how do we look at these phrases? Obviously, there's a sober warning here. There's two ways that people tend to look at this. One is that, uh, in, in, in a sense, a very severe way, the warning against apostasy, if we deny him, he'll deny us. If we're faithless, he'll be faithful to his threat of judgment against us. And so there it's, it has all the negative uh, overview with the warning uh, against our denial or abandonment of Christ. The other way that this is understood, which is, <clears throat> I think, what's helpful, you do have the warning in, in the third stanza. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Uh, but is there no hope? If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. And the other way to understand these stanzas in this text 
is to understand that the faithful points to God upholding his elect to the very end, even when they struggle. And part of what points us to that is the word, the the idea behind the word for God's faithfulness is used, I think, exclusively in the New Testament for his faithfulness to his people. In every other text in the New Testament where it's used, it's faithfulness to the promises concerning their salvation. And we have many promises of God to that end. He preserves us from temptation that will overwhelm us. He guards us from the evil one. And and a help to, to think about God's faithfulness. What is our hope in this world? It's not our faithfulness. We know we will be faithless. I wish we wouldn't be, but we know we are. We, we will be. What is our hope in that? It's that God will be faithful. And we have a couple significant illustrations of this. Perhaps the, <clears throat> the greatest one is in, in Luke chapter 22. And so I'd like you to turn there in Luke chapter 22. This is Peter. Before I give you Peter, the illustration of Peter, the other illustration among the disciples was Thomas. Remember, Thomas said, if I don't see the wounds and put my finger in in his hands and my hand in his side, I will not believe. He was faithless, but the Lord was remained faithful to him and the Lord met him and demonstrated himself to him where he could cry out that wonderful confession, my Lord and my God. Here in Luke 22, it's in the conversation of the, uh, the denial of Christ. And we have in verse 31, Jesus' statement to Peter Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me deny three times that you know me. Peter was faithless. He denied the Lord three times. He turned away from his Savior, even in spite of all his claims that, oh, no, I'll go to prison. I'll go to, um, to death with you. Peter was faithless. But what was his hope? His hope is the same hope as you and I have. It's the faithfulness of Christ. That's our hope. You and I will struggle. You and I at times will stumble and fall. What is our hope? 
is that Christ was faithful. And so there's Jesus' words to Peter. Peter, Satan wants to shake you as hard as he can and sift you like wheat. And and he's going to be successful. You're going to deny me three times. But I have prayed for you that your faith not utterly fail. And Jesus is so confident in his prayer. He says, and when you have returned, not if you return, strengthen your brothers, but when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Peter's hope, like your hope, like my hope, is not in our ability It's in Christ and his faithfulness. Now, that in no way excuses our our falling away. That that in no way excuses our sin and our failure to take up our cross and follow him. It doesn't excuse that in any way. But when we're on our faces before the Lord and overwhelmed, as Peter was with our grief, uh, Jesus will come to us and say, do you love me? And Peter would say, well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then he said, feed my sheep. And then Jesus said again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know that I love you. You know all things. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then a third time, Matching the three denials, Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? And then Jesus calling to him that third time, after him saying, you know, I love you, he says, feed my lambs. Peter's hope, his restoration, same as yours and same as me, is in the faithfulness of Christ. That's our hope. That's our help. And perhaps our motivation to endure the hardship that we have to endure. To fight against the temptations uh, to walk another path. Because our hope is in Christ. And our union with him. And may that be your hope and your peace and your motivation to live for the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the richness of your love. We have these sober warnings, and yet we have the wonderful reminder of your faithfulness. And we pray, O Father, that you would help us to endure hardship as good soldiers, to to pursue the discipline as as an athlete, to do the hard work as a farmer would, in living the, the, the godly life for you, that you ultimately would receive all glory and honor through us. Uh, give us this help and this hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>